Welcome to Radio Italia Uno's Talking Real Estate, an informative and engaging hour discussing everything you need to know about the world of real estate in Adelaide and around the country. Your host, Ron Fiedler, will provide you with insight and guidance from real estate experts on how to buy, sell, finance and invest in real estate and much more. Now sit back and relax with your host for Radio Italia Uno's Talking Real Estate, Ron Fiedler. Hello and welcome to this week's Talking Real Estate on Radio Italia Uno. I am so glad you can join us. I am Ron Fiedler, your host. Happy New Year to all of our listeners. I hope you had a great New Year's Eve and a even better New Year's Day. I was in the studio of Radio Italia Uno broadcasting the New Year's Eve countdown party we had. What a great night it was and thanks to all involved. Joining me in the studio, as always, is our co-producer of Talking Real Estate, Karen Fiedler. Happy New Year, Karen. And Happy New Year, Ron, and Happy New Year to all our listeners. Tell us, how was your New Year's? It was wonderful. I mean, my friend and I did go out for um, tea, then we went out and done some karaoke. Yeah, it was a pretty good night. Even though we couldn't go out and watch fireworks and do what we normally did, most people did have a good night. Well, Karen, we are pumped to bring you a full year of Talking Real Estate with real estate news, information and advice. We are working behind the scenes to ensure that this year's 2021 will be a great year in real estate. So let's now find out what's on today's show. On Talking Real Estate with Ron and Karen Fiedler today. We will bring you the latest real estate news about Adelaide's top suburbs for rental investments. This week, we will not be bringing you any auction data because of the Christmas holidays. In the Italian Property Report, Idealista is reporting about permanent housing exchange in Italy, what it is and how does it work. And we'll have a look at some of the websites you can use to look for properties for sale and rent. And don't forget, if you wish to contact us during the show, you can on WhatsApp. The number is 0412-433-411. Now it's time to bring you Adelaide's only independent real estate show, Talking Real Estate. All information provided on Talking Real Estate has been obtained from sources we believe to be accurate and correct at time of broadcasting. However, we cannot guarantee the information accuracy and we accept no liability for any errors or omissions. Interested parties should make their own inquiries and obtain their own legal advice. In real estate news this week, the advertiser's Lydia Kellner is reporting where to buy LA's top 25 suburbs for rental yield. Demand for rental properties across Greater Adelaide has caused prices to increase and vacancies to fall. According to data from realestate.com.au, 88.5% of SA suburbs and towns have gross rental yields of at least 1.9% as supply outstrips demand. Solomon Town in Port Pirie has the highest rental yield at 12.45%, followed by Cooper Pitty and Peterborough, both reporting yields of more than 10%. 
25%. Across Metro Adelaide, investors reap the biggest rewards in the northern suburbs where rental yields sit at 8.19% in Elizabeth North. In the southern suburbs, Morpher Vale was the star performer with a yield of 5.53%, while Ottawa produced an average yield of 5.27% in the west. Newton, meanwhile, was the highest yielding suburb in the east at 3.83%, while Loverfor was the cream of the crop in the hills with a yield of 4.89%. Zoe Ball from Again Real Estate said a combination of low house prices and rising rents had led to higher yields across Adelaide. With our rentals, we are getting around 100 groups through each property and about 50 applications, she said. Because of the demand, rents have been pushed up dramatically as there is not enough stock on the market. We have some clients that are the top niche tenants who would usually be guaranteed to find something, but right now they are not and that's adding to pressure on sellers. Miss Ball said the market was desperate for investors to help boost supply of rental properties. She said the southern suburbs in particular offer plenty of affordable options for buyers, including her latest listing of a one-bedroom unit at Morford Vale. The property is on the market with a price guide of $199,000 to $218,000 and is currently tenanted for $260 per week. That's as cheap as it gets and even has a tenant that would love to stay on, Miss Ball said. The current owner currently gets a weekly return of about $70 a week and doesn't have to make any extra repayments. It's a really good offering and hopefully will help bring more investors out of the woodworks. Angus Campbell of Ray White Woodside said the Adelaide Hills investors market had also benefited from strong rental yields over the past year. He predicts greater rental returns in the year ahead with yields of up to 7%. The rental market up here has been inundated because a lot more people are chasing the hills lifestyle but want to tip their toe in before they buy, he said. That's put pressure on rental properties and will only increase in the coming year, particularly in the first half, which is when most people make their moving decisions. So let's have a look at what the highest yield suburbs across the state are. In the north, you have Elizabeth North, Devon Park, Elizabeth South, Elizabeth Park, Smithfield Plains. In the south, you have Morford Vale, Nalunga Downs, Renella, Christie's Beach or Semaford Meadows. In the west, you have Ottawa, Taparoo, Birkenhead, Osborne and Mansfield Park. In the east, you have Newton, Hectorville, Glyde, McGill, Ross Trevor, and in the Adelaide Hills you have Lobefor, Mount Barker, Nan, Littlehampton, and Woodside. And that is what's happening in real estate news for this week. As reported at the start of the show, there are no auction numbers to give this week due to the Christmas New Year break, but we will be bringing you more auction news and auction information as soon as it comes to hand. You're listening to Talking Real Estate on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. 
Now it's time on Radio Italia Uno to head over to Italy and find out about the Italian property market. In the Italian Property Report, Idealista is reporting about permanent house exchange in Italy. What is it and how does it work? New housing needs can arise at any time. Perhaps you need more space to work from home or because your family is growing or maybe you want a property with more outdoor space. However, if your dream home is not accessible for sale or if access to a mortgage is difficult, there are different ways to buy a home in Italy. One good alternative in Italy can be a property exchange or permanent house swap. Let's see what a house swap is and how it works in Italy. So what is a housing exchange in Italy? The exchange of real estate in Italy is governed by Article 1552 of the Civil Code and consists of the mutual transfer of ownership of a property from one owner to another. Basically, two parties exchange their respective houses with the advantage of avoiding investing large sums of money or having to take out a mortgage. The costs are also lower. There is only one deed of exchange as well as notary fees and taxes, which are divided between the included parties and therefore are cheaper. The difficult lies in finding a person who is willing to give up their home while also wanting to move into your home. Something which isn't always easy to find and is one reason why this method of acquiring a property is not yet widespread in Italy. So what's the difference between a property exchange and buying and selling? The difference between a house exchange contract and a sales contract is that the latter pre-proposes the payment of a sum of money while the latter is kind of a barter in which the consideration for the exchange is a real asset, a property. If the two goods have the same value, there is no need to add further sums of money as compensation. This is known as pure exchange. Otherwise, a sum of money must be added to the balance, the difference in the value. The type of properties exchanged in Italy, there's direct, which is a property exchange between private individuals, an exchange between a private individual and a manufacturer, between legal entities, between two companies, for example, and indirect. This is when the exchange takes place in two separate transactions. So what about house swaps in Italy and mortgages? If a property given in exchange is encumbered by a mortgage, then the situation becomes a little bit more complicated. In this case, it will be necessary for the borrower to pay off the mortgage prior to the exchange or for the other party to take over the mortgage when acquiring the home. If both parties are mortgaged, the parties may also wish to exchange their representative loans, although this can be time-consuming. So how much does a property exchange in Italy cost? Real estate exchanges are convenient as the costs in the transaction are paid on a single property and the registration tax is calculated on the basis of the value of the property to which the higher tax is to be applied. As explained by circular number 2E of Italy's 2014 inland revenue, mortgage and and cadastral taxes are also applied once, while stamp duty, mortgage taxes and special cadastral taxes are not usually due. However, this only applies if the counterparties are not subject to VAT, in which case registration, mortgage, cadastral and stamp duty will be due. 
And that's what's being reported by Idealista in the Italian Property Report. Italia 1 87 There is no Idealista Italian Property of the Week this week due to the Christmas New Year break. But as soon as it comes back to hand, we will bring it to you. And that is the property news for this week on Radio Italia Uno's 87.6 FM. We'll be right back with more Talking Real Estate. Let's find out what's happening on the weekend with this week's auctions and open homes. Welcome back to the show. There are no upcoming auctions and open for inspections this week due to the Christmas New Year break. But don't worry because Karen will be back on the 16th of January with her open home of the week and open for inspections. But today I thought we'd look at the eight best free sites for property research in Australia. We all know about the two major players in the real estate market on the internet, which is realestate.com.au and also domain.com.au. These are great sites to look for properties for sale and gives you some some information and a little bit of um, uh, background to properties and uh, uh, suburbs but but there are other ones that you can look at and they offer different things so if you're an investor you may want to have a look at some of these um, sites to get the right information and if you're just looking for your family home and all they still have some great information now these are free sites so some of them like RP data uh, you pay for reports and all but there are ways of doing this for free on the internet if you know the right places to go one of them you want to search for is myrealestate.com.au. Um, the best thing about this, it, it really gets rid of a lot of the ads that realestate.com has and simplifies the process of looking for property. Um, you can use search terms. Uh, it's like a uh, Google. So when you put something into Google and it comes up with different options, this one does the same. And all the properties are from all the major real estate portals. So you go to, you might go to Domain and there might be a property that's not on realestate.com. This one will have them all. The next one you want to look at is dsrdata.com.au. Now, what this does, it is about supply and demand ratios. So what they do is when you put a uh, into the search engine a suburb, it tells you how many buyers have been looking in that area. Um, so therefore, you can know if it's a very popular suburb, but also for rentals. So if you're looking at uh, you know renting a property, is it a popular suburb for people that want to rent? So that one is dsrdata.com.au the next one we got is microburbs.com.au m-i-c-r-o-b-u-r-b-s.com.au it's a great new tool that gives you a lot of detail about the demographics of a suburb it will show you details and even heat maps of everything from public housing to crime rates to medium income in the area and this tool is an absolute must if you want to get to understand what an area is like like before you invest in the area. The next one you've got, and this has been around for a while, and I've used this a lot in my real estate career, it's called onthehouse.com.au, and it's a great way to get a lot of information found in a free property report. 
It will give you an estimate of the value of a property, give you zooming details, land size, as well as previous sale history for the property. You can see exactly when the property was previously sold and how much for. Occasionally, you will also see what the property was previously rented for. It will also show you comparative properties in the area so you can compare the value asking price of a property um, to similar properties in the area. So it's really good. So when you you know are looking around and an agent's telling you something, you can go on to um, onthehouse.com.au and check out to make sure the agent is telling you the right thing. The next one is oldlistings.com.au. This major real estate uh, you know, the major real estate portholes don't tell you everything about a property like when it was listed last. They want to hide this from you. They want to serve the best interests of the selling agents. Often a property must stay on the market for a long period of time and have lots of price reductions. Looking at just the portholes, you'll never know about these. Oldlistings.com.au doesn't have every property, but it does have a lot, and it will show you when the property was previously listed and how much it was listed for. Um, this is a great way for negotiating and understanding how long a property has actually been on the market. So you can see that it might have started at a price, let's say, for example, $600,000, and then it's dwindled away and it's gone down to what the market's prepared to pay, say even a $100,000 price reduction. The agencies aren't going to tell you this because they don't want to show the property in a bad light. But this will show you what's happening with the property and it will be a better way for you to negotiate. Now the next one um, is something that I use here on the uh, on Talking Real Estate and it's called house.caso.cn slash rent.php. Now this one here and I'll spell it out it's h-o-u-s-e dot k-s-o-u dot c-n forward slash R-E-N-T dot P-H-P. Now, what this is, and this is a very helpful um, tool, uh, it is primarily aimed at the Chinese investors, but there is an English version. It's really helpful. And it has a lot of features um, about it, but what it has is recent rentals and information about rental properties. Um, so if you're you know, looking at renting a property and you want to increase your rent, um, it shows you what's compatible with rents around the area. Um, and it was a good way of negotiating rent with tenants. You can see like what everyone else is putting their rent up as. Now, another one is vacancy rates. So this one here is SQM Research. And what so what this one is, it's sqmresearch.com.au. Now, what this one does, it, it gives you an idea of what the current vacancy rates for property is. So when you're investing in property, you must always want to invest in areas with a low vacancy rate. This indicates demand for the area and means your property is more likely to be rented um, and generate income for you. So this is a good one to have a look at, sqmresearch.com.au. Now, another place to go that people don't realise is the census, the Australian Bureau of Statistics. This is a good one to go to because it tells you everything about what's happening in a suburb. It tells you what type of people live in that suburb, how much they're earning, what their occupations are. It tells you... Um, 
the age group of people. So when you're looking at investing in property, um, you want to know these things because you don't want to go to an area that, say, for example, has people that can't pay the rent. You want someone, uh, you know, you want a long-term growth, so you've got to increase your rent over time. And when you do that, you want to be in an area where people can afford a rental increase, for example. And the census also tells you about local areas, about what's coming up, about infrastructure. Uh, it gives you all that sort of data. So one good place to go is the Bureau of Statistics Census. So these are some of the best free sites for property research in Australia, but there are many others out there and you've got to do your research. You don't have to pay thousands of dollars for property reports. There are ways to do it for free and this is one of them. Well, that's all the time we have for, for the summer edition of Talking Real Estate. Don't forget, we will be back with a full show on the 16th of January. But in the meantime, we'll be playing the best of our interviews and giving you local real estate news as it comes to hand. I would like to thank our guest today with our interview, Nick Pink from Everything Electrical, our co-producer, Karen Fiedler, who produces the show with me each week. Until next week, bye for now. You have been listening to Talking Real Estate on Radio Italia Uno 87.6 FM. Thanks to our sponsors. To listen to our program again, go to our podcast on our Facebook page or at talkingrealestate.com.au. Welcome back to Talking Real Estate. As it is the Christmas New Year break, we are giving you our best of interviews from 2020. And today on the program, we have Nick Pink from Everything Electrical. Each week on Talking Real Estate, we get the best advice, tips and stories from real estate professionals from right here in Adelaide and around the country. So let's get the inside information and introduce this week's guest. When buying a home, we all know we need to get a building and pest inspection done, but these inspections rarely include electrical. How do you know if the lighting, power points and wiring is in good condition, up to code, safe and electrically sound? Your home or investment property may be one of the largest investments you will ever make, and the last thing you want is a surprise and a costly repair bill down the track. What do you need to do before you buy a property in regards to its electrical, and what maintenance plan should you have after you buy the property? Our guest this week is Nick Pink from Everything Electrical, who is a qualified electrician. Nick, thanks for joining us today on Radio Italia Uno's Talking Real Estate. Yeah, thank you, Ron. Thank you for having us and uh, welcome to everybody who's listening. So, Nick, why should our listeners have a pre-purchase electrical inspection before buying a property? Good question, Ron. Uh, and like you touched on earlier, people do see this uh, desire or need, I suppose, to, to get building and, and pest inspections. And rightly so because it is a it is a big investment as you as you pointed out they don't really check electrical and if they do check electrical it is very very limited they'll see that there is a smoke alarm in the property or they might see that the the, the property does have a, a safety switch and, and things like that but very rarely do they dive you know deep into what the electrical system in the property is like what condition it's in 
uh, is it functioning properly and and all those sort of sort of things by doing a, an inspection um, you can an, an electrical inspection obviously you can uh, you can get the answers to those questions does my property have a safety switch does it work does it have the right number does it have mm-hmm. smoke alarms do they work uh, are they compliant you know i.e are they you know in date or have they expired how many does the home need are they interconnected so if one was to go off do do the others go off do the light switches to the power points you know all that sort of stuff in the property are they are they working are there any physical signs of damage and, and things like that going on from there i guess the important thing is is the wiring in the home safe changing a power point changing a light switch for example relatively easy you know smooth you know cost um, you know non-costly uh, maintenance but let's say you had to you know renew the wiring from the from the the road where it connects to sa power networks to the property that could be underground it could involve lifting up driveways and or cutting concrete in you know in paths and, and things like that all of this could come at a, a, a big shock and an even bigger cost to to you after after settlement of your of your new home or, or investment property. We also can check appliances. So is the is the electric oven is it working? Are all the functions working properly? Is it heating? Is it doing what it should? Hot water systems, are they heating? You know, is it on an off peak tariff? Has it been wired correctly? All those all those sort of things, I guess. So they're they're you know sort of things we we can check and um, and why it's worthwhile having having an inspection done. Yeah, definitely. So when you're when you are doing an inspection of property, what are you actually looking for? Is it is it signs of um, burning? Is it signs of wear and tear? In the in the form of, of of signs, I guess wear and tear would probably be the most common one visually speaking, uh, and that could be as simple as you know you can see that a, a light switch or a, or a power point or or a light fitting or something like that. It could uh, it could be cracked or damaged or deteriorated in in some way, but I guess. The, the more important side of it, and going back to that, me talking about wiring and, and, and smoke alarms and safety switches and all that sort of stuff, there is actually Australian standards that we that we have to follow being electricians to mm-hmm. you know, say a property is compliant and a property is safe and, and all that sort of stuff. So we, we actually have a rule book that we, we, we have to follow quite uh, quite closely. And that outlines a set of you know, criteria, I suppose, that the property has to comply to to be considered safe and, and habitable to, to occupants. And that's the same for commercial and industrial properties as well. So right. you know, if there was a person out there looking to purchase either one of those or an investor, uh, the same principles yep. apply. It's not just a, a domestic you know, situation. We would obviously you know, go into the roof cavity, I suppose, and if there were downlights in the property of the old you know, halogen style, a lot yep. of these over the years have been installed covered by thermal insulation and we've all seen in the news and on the media how uh, how thermal insulation and downlights don't uh, they're not a very you know perfect marriage they <laughs> the last thing we want yes. is uh, a family to move into have a, a new home and and have a fire because they've left a, a downlight on as a nightlight or, or something like that or it could be installed too close to a timber in the roof. These are all the yeah. sort of things we we can check. And I guess on the on the backside of all these checks, and, and after we've you know we're satisfied and everything is how it should be, we issue what's known as a certificate of compliance, and that's a that's a government required form that basically yeah. states who we are, the work we've done, and that uh, the property is 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 compliant. If for whatever reason there was a, a something noticeable in in the property that uh, didn't quite meet the standard, we can we can note that down. And obviously, we can't, and no one can force anybody to, to do anything. Obviously, but they do mm-hmm. get a grace period to to rectify oh. anything or 
if it is pre-settlement, for example, and this was a condition of a of a of a, of a, of a purchase, and I'm no conveyancer, but it might give them the ability to go back to the vendor and say, hey, can you rectify these moving forward? How often do you find hazards or shonky work or people doing their own wiring when you are carrying out a pre-purchase inspection? Too often, I guess, is the is the answer to that. It's, really? Uh, it, it's scary. Believe it. Well, most definitely. Considering you can't see this stuff, you have no idea if it's present or not, uh, obviously, without using tools, obviously. Uh, yeah. I'm amazed on a daily basis, not not so much myself because I'm basically in, in the office a lot of the time, but for the years mm. I was on the tools, and especially my guys out on the road now, it's it's actually scary what we come across on a, on a, on a daily basis, whether that's doing a property inspection or attending a property because someone's pulled us for something not working and the result we find why it's not working is, is, is quite frankly, frightening. You know, we've we've been to properties where you know people who feel they've got the the, the skill and the and the, the qualification, albeit they don't, they've they've gone to the local hardware store and purchased everything they believe is is correct to put an additional power point in their kitchen, for example, or in their in their study or bedroom, and they wired it in speaker cable and and things like that. Oh, and, you, wow. know, you can just imagine how, how dangerous that can can be and and where that could lead. Uh, moving, yeah. you know, moving further you know, down the track. Ultimately, what we're all trying to avoid, I guess, is is electrocution, as, as, as drastic as that sounds, or or a potential fire in the home, I guess, due to faulty or, or non-compliant electrical, you know, installations. You know, I guess if you had to categorise it, you know, um, the things we find, majority of them would be minor. I suppose we very rarely come across major issues. Majority of them mm. would be would be minor, which is a broken light here or or. or or a damaged light switch, which might have a you know a loose um, you know the actual bit that toggles up and down the actual switch itself, they can they yeah. can become dislodged in it, and it would leave a, a potentially dangerous situation. But all of that is is quite minor and can be you know, easily fixed. It, it's the it's the major things like yeah. I was talking about before: incorrect wiring for for PowerPoint, or or people thinking, oh, putting it down like it's only it's only cutting a circle hole in my ceiling. I can. <laughs> I've got a saw. It, it's those, I guess, those attitudes and and people who who think they can do it. It is scary what we come across. Nick, does electrical wiring have a lifespan? Y- yes and no, I suppose. If you if you go back to and and, and don't uh, and don't be alarmed by this. If you go back to you know, the nineteen forties <laughs> and nineteen fifties when we sort of started, you know, putting electricity into our homes and and all that sort of stuff. If it hasn't already, that wiring is going to expire. It was uh, it was like an aluminium um, material covered by cotton believe it or not all, of all things you yeah know, flammable you know burning burning cotton over time and like i said if it hasn't failed already it's it's only a matter of you know time until it does it, it starts to absorb moisture from the air and all the connections mm-hmm. start to become brittle and burn out and, and and things like that so properties of that age yes there's definitely a a, a very limited you know lifespan left in left in those yep. moving forward we go to our 50s and 60s very very similar again but slightly slightly better they did uh they did change the cabling to they went, they moved away from you know, cotton, which was obviously flammable mm-hmm. and things like that, to a to a rubber compound. But that right. in itself caused more problems. It was it was you know, was brittle and and you know over time the, the rubber starts to crack and flake and and you quite often mm-hmm. end up with rather than a, rather than a cable running through a, a roof space, for example, that should be you know safe. Um, it's yep. it, all the rubber deteriorated, broken off, and you've just got live live conductive cabling running through a through a roof. So the, the once again, you know, you know, 
I guess yeah, fifties or sixties is still a still a concern if you have a property or yeah. are looking to buy a property of, of that age. Sixties to seventies, it it did take a drastic improvement. It was sort of like you know the the era of when you know plastic started to come mm-hmm. you know, into in the world and they they changed to from a, an aluminium you know wire to a to a copper wire in most cases yeah and it was covered by a plastic but that yeah. said it's not without its uh, without its drawbacks the you know being relatively new the plastic technology wasn't all that you know fantastic and yeah. coming into you know, now the late 90s and, and early 2000s if you were to work on that cabling it, it is it can be quite difficult to work on it's very brittle and you know very it cracks very easily and you know i think the worst part about it wasn't i'm sure there's listeners out there listening to this right now who and i'm sure yeah. yourself you might have even seen this you go to an older home and you can see there's like a, a sticky green sort of you know Goo, I guess, is the best way to describe yes, it. Yes, I've seen that. It, yes, in that on powerpoints and light switches and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that was what was inside the cables, and they, and that was in there to ah. basically basically help us as electricians to to install the cable. It made it flexible and and easier to work with. Yeah. But the drawback was over time it starts to to drip out of the of the cable, and as you can see, it comes you know into the visibility on, on the light switch or the PowerPoint, or if you have a, a chandelier or something installed in the property, mm-hmm. you can start to see it, you know, dripping, dripping from the ceiling over, over time. Nick, we, we are definitely. using more electrical devices than ever before. How does someone know or how can they tell if their power supply is adequate? Short answer, it's not being a professional. It's, it's, it's quite difficult to tell. I could only... Roughly say, if you if you're looking at buying one of those uh, those older, older properties, you know something you know pre 1980, I suppose, as you can imagine, and 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 with your listeners, they have you know one TV in the house, a kettle, and and, and a toaster. Probably there was no there was yeah. no electric heating, no big air conditioning units, and definitely was mm-hmm. no you know portable devices that all the all the kids and even ourselves as adults <laughs> sit on all, all night long these days. Um, yeah. So if it, if it, if it is a home, you know, pre the eighties, I'm not saying it doesn't have what you know people are, people are looking for, but it would be something worth considering. Uh, you know, is it going to have and, and meet the, the demands of, of today's society? Mm-hmm. It could have been upgraded, and there could be nothing, you know, nothing, you know, not not wrong, but there could be nothing to worry about. It could have been upgraded, and uh, and everything's fine. And you know, the people beforehand, they've uh, you know lived there, and it was it was all fine for them. Anything yep. probably eighties onwards. Um, you know, there's a good chance it's going to be able to do what uh, what today's you know, consumer uh, wants to wants to do. You know, multiple TVs, laptops, computers, you know, coffee machines, all that mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Probably with the limitation that um, it might need a very minor amount of, of upgrading, and that could be something as simple as installing an extra you know uh, circuit on the switchboard or something like that, just to provide that little yep. bit extra power you know, around the home. Because there might only be Excellent. one power example in each bedroom. Yep. They might say, "Hey, I want two you know, bedside lamps, for example. So, yeah. you know, I guess to summarise, before the 80s, probably something to, to consider. Mid-80s yep. upward, you generally would be fine. Uh, maybe a slight slight upgrade. Excellent. We're talking with uh, Nick Pink from Everything Electrical. Nick, something that I want to talk to you about is, should our listeners who already own a property have an ongoing maintenance plan for their electrics in their home? Most definitely. Uh, I think this is another you know, scary you know, thing we come across from, from time to time. People, you know, buy a house, build a house, do do whatever they whatever they do. They move in and they tend to forget about it. If you yeah. bought a brand new car, you, you go out there and you wash it every weekend, you keep it in your garage, 
when you get a, you know, a, a, a funny symbol come up on your dashboard and a flash of service, what's the first thing we do? We, we ring up, we, we drive it down there at our, our expense, our time, and, and we hand over our hard-earned money, and it's nothing different to what we had before we took it there. But we all do. Yeah, it but unfortunately, us. with electrical, we don't have those little symbols come up, do we? <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, look, there are telltale signs that you might need to to have things looked at if you had fuses or circuit breakers that were were causing some issues. But yeah. ultimately, yeah, yes, things should be checked. Things like the safety switch in the property, they should be checked every month, and that can all be right. as simple as they've got a they've got a test facility built onto the safety switch. Any end mm-hmm. user can press that button and test the safety switch and if it if it does trip off that's a pretty good indicator that that it's that it's doing its job and it's working fine smoke alarms i can't talk enough about smoke alarms you know how many how many fires do we hear of that have started you know fire whether it be someone you know left a candle on or who who knows what it it could be they're a a lifesaver i guess is the the simplest way to put it they should really be checked weekly and that is it's a relatively simple task they're designed Nine times out of ten that you can do it with just a, a broom handle or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess you know, if you have any issues, you can always call someone in to, to, to check them. But most definitely they should be. They should, those two items themselves should be checked on a, on a regular basis. Further down the track, um, obviously, the, with the nature of electricity and, you know, vibrations in the home, you, know, you might live on yeah. a, a flight path or next to a, a busy road or something like that. Connections in the switchboard where the wiring terminates or at, say, an appliance, be it a stove or a, or a range hood or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, power points, light switches, they've all got terminations and connections in them. They can work yep. loose over time. It's a, it's a good idea to, to have, especially the switchboard at, at a minimum, I guess, checked on a on probably a three- to five-year basis, I suppose, just for, just for peace right. of mind. That, that the connections are tight because um, the, the worst, I guess, and the you know, most dangerous thing that can happen with a loose connection is, is heat buildup, and we all know where yep. heat buildup go from go from there. So there's no fundamental, yes, you have to do it this time and all that sort of stuff, but mm. if you read through a lot of manufacturers' documents and, and things like that, they do specify I said smoke alarms you know, weekly, things like safety yeah. switches on a monthly on a monthly basis. Yeah, like I said, most of it's designed that the end user can can do those things themselves. But there are situations where you might need a professional. And the beauty we have, I suppose, going with a safety switch, for example, there is actually requirements mm-hmm. of how fast they must operate to help protect life. I guess yeah. as an end user, you actually don't know what that value is, and you have no way of reading it without the right instrumentation. That's where yeah. So we we've got tools and devices that monitor in down to the millisecond how fast a safety switch operates and, and things like that and you know it might be a case of it is working but it's not working fast enough well so if people do find a problem um what yeah. should they do well i guess most of all and and, and foremost is is don't touch it i suppose you know electricity right. being invisible as it is and not knowing whether it's there if it's there if it is a, uh, you know, a, let's say it was a broken PowerPoint and you could see spot exposed connections or or something that could cause a, 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 a life-threatening situation, don't touch yeah. it. If it's safe to do so and you feel confident, I'd, I'd strongly advise turning the power off at, at the switchboard at the property. Then call, obviously, a, a licensed, qualified, insured electrician would be the advice. Um, but it, it does depend on the on the severity of the, of the situation. So... You know, if someone found, for example, that it's the you – know, it sounds like I'm going on about smoke alarms a lot. If the smoke alarm was beeping, yeah. it's most likely a flat battery, and they're designed that the end yep. user can change them. But, you know, if it was a, 
uh, you know, something, you know, of, of, you know, significance, like I said, you know, exposed wiring or exposed, you know, terminal mm-hmm. of some sorts that could, uh, could be life-threatening. Most definitely, yeah. keep away and uh, don't touch it. Definitely, I agree with you there. I would not be touching electricity. I will be getting a qualified <laughs> electrician uh, in. The sad part is every electrician has come in contact with it at some time, and it's uh, and on end like in cartoons and and the movies. It's still not, a, <laughs> yeah, it's still not a nice thing to to experience. Oh no, I wouldn't want to experience. Nick, what are, what are the costs that people look for for a pre-purchase electrical inspection? It is varying, and when I say varying, obviously the size of home makes a difference, the number of, of uh, yeah, appliances. And when I say appliances, you know, you know, some properties have, you know, a, an outdoor kitchen, they've got an indoor kitchen. Mm-hmm. Some properties have, you know, more lights than others and so on and so forth. You, you, you get the drift. Um, yep. It ranges, it starts at $450, including GST, and um, it, it goes up from from there, I suppose, just dependent on you know the size of the home and and the and the number of things that need need checking, I suppose. Yeah, and I suppose it is a uh, something you can look forward to. You can pay that now or in the future, maybe pay yeah. thousands of dollars to get it all fixed up. Yeah, Nick, how can exactly. our listeners contact you if you want if they want more information on your services? Look, depending, you know, for how you know media savvy they are and, and technology savvy we've obviously got our social media pages which is which is facebook yep. and, and instagram and they can search for us using everything electrical sa that's all all one word they can yep. shoot us an email if they wanted to which is just admin at everything electrical.com.au or if they prefer a good old chat over the over the phone we've got our, our office number which is eight three nine five zero zero nine two and that's manned between the hours of 9 and 4.30. We've been talking with Nick Pink from Everything Electrical. If you would like to know more about pre-purchasing a property and getting electrical inspection or even electrical maintenance plan, you can contact Nick Pink from Everything Electrical on 0883950092 or at admin at everythingelectrical.com.au. Nick, thanks for joining us today on Radio Italia Uno's Talking Real Estate. I really hope people got a lot out of that. No, look, thank you for having me. It was, was my pleasure and hopefully it's given a little bit of an insight as to, you know, what people need to or should look for when they're, when they're purchasing or, you know, their first home, their next home, their, their an investment or, or whatever it might be. I'd just like to end on one note to say if um, mm-hmm. people are, you know, looking to, to have any work done, be it with ourselves or, or, or any electrician in Adelaide, always make sure to check their licenses to make sure they actually are a licensed electrician. Make sure they're not just an electrician make sure they're licensed to actually conduct a business and charge you money. So they need to be an electrical contractor as well as an electrician. And foremost, make sure they're able to issue you a certificate of compliance because that's basically your foolproof way of knowing they've done their job to to the rules and regulations. Excellent. I really appreciate you giving that advice, Nick. No, not a problem at all. Thank you very much. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. Vuoi promuovere la tua attività? Vuoi aumentare il tuo volume di affari? Non sai a chi rivolgerti? Chiama Radio Italia 1. Il nostro staff commerciale è a disposizione per ogni informazione o preventivo personalizzato. Chiama all'82123177. Radio Italia 1. E anche tu sarai un numero 1. Radio Italia 1 Radio Italia 1 Scarica la nostra app aggiornata sul telefonino o tablet Radio Italia 1, sempre di più Seguici anche sulla nostra pagina Facebook ed Instagram 
Radio Italia 1 Sito internet www.italia1.com.au Seguici anche sulla nostra pagina Facebook e Instagram